You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I suppose I should open the podcast with a rant about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A is the, you know, shitty deep-fried chicken sandwich joint, although a lot of people really love their chicken sandwiches, whatever. I don't eat a lot of fast food. I've actually never had a Chick-fil-A sandwich, which is going to make boycotting Chick-fil-A a little difficult for me, which is what we're all supposed to do now, because it turns out that Chick-fil-A has been donating millions of dollars to anti-gay organizations like the American Family Association, the Family Research Council, and the uh, douchebaggat uh, who owns Chick-fil-A uh, has given some interviews recently condemning uh, gay marriage, condemning gay people, saying it's not biblical, Jesus is throwing up somewhere, uh, particularly if he ate at Chick-fil-A. This is the uh, scandal of the moment, and everyone's picking sides, and Mike Huckabee has resumed digging his grave with his knife and his fork and is urging everyone to support Chick-fil-A and calling people who are calling on people to boycott Chick-fil-A intolerant bigots because Chick-fil-A has this right to fund discrimination. But if then you'd turn around and want to discriminate against Chick-fil-A by not eating their shitty deep fried chicken patties, then you're the real bigot, whatever. They're the victims, right? That's their current posture, their current argument, their current sort of culture war jujitsu. We're going to oppress and discriminate against you and fund discrimination against you. And if you say boo about it, then, oh my God, you're the intolerant one because you are intolerant of our intolerance. Uh, anyway, I suppose I should rant about Chick-fil-A at the top of the show and tell everyone not to eat their fucking shitty chow. But I'm not going to do that. Uh, I'm actually in Iowa uh, in a tiny, tiny town that I will not name out of respect for my uh, brother's privacy. In a tiny, tiny town in ruralist Iowa, smaller than the town where Michelle Bachman was born, but close to the town where Michelle Bachman was born, uh, but not quite there. And uh, I'm here with my family. We're having a little family reunion. I haven't seen my siblings for a while. And the other day, I took a picture, and I posted it to Instagram, and I wanted to share it with all the podcast listeners. Instagram uh, is this social media app. Uh, I'm a late adopter. I usually you know, come very late to Twitter. I'm on Twitter now, and I had to take at fake Dan Savage as my name because I waited too long, and Dan Savage and all its variations were already gone, so I just chose fake Dan Savage. And now I have a blue check mark, which makes me the real fake Dan Savage, the authenticated fake Dan Savage. Anyway, Instagram is the only uh, social media app or the only uh, whatever these things are called um, social networking thing that I've ever gotten on early enough to get my own name. If you go to Instagram and look me up, it's just Dan Savage at Instagram. That's me. I am Dan Savage on Instagram. It's the only place where I actually get to be myself under my own name because Terry, when Instagram was released, was smart enough to jump on it. Anyway, I posted a picture that I took here during our little family reunion, and I'd love for everyone who listens to the podcast to go check it out. Um, it's at the top of my Instagram feed. What it is is Terry, my husband in Canada, boyfriend in America, and of course, husband here in Iowa, where same-sex marriage is legal, thank the Iowa State Supreme Court. Uh, it's Terry um, sitting on my brother's front porch, with his niece, uh, whose name is Danny, actually, D-A-N-N-I-E, uh, Danny. And it's such a beautiful picture. This little girl has her head on Terry's chest, and she's just the most contented-looking little girl you've ever seen. She is so in love with Terry, and she, she always has been. We've been planning this trip a year ago, and she's been asking her mom every day when Terry and Dan are coming. Um, 
Danny, uh, my niece, is painfully shy and doesn't speak to me or Terry, really. The only thing, the only time I can get her to utter a word is if I say, who do you like better, me or Terry? And then she'll look up and say, Terry. <laughs> it's so cute. Anyway, I want y'all to see this picture because it's really beautiful. And I wouldn't mind if you sent the link or, you know, if you had bigoted relatives out there. You could share it with them, too. Because the point I want to make to these dumb fuck bigots is that they're losing. And they know they're losing. That's why they're getting so desperate. That's why they're swanning around playing the victim now. That's why they're the oppressed ones. Because their right to oppress others is being taken from them. They know they're losing the argument. And here's one of the important ways they're losing the argument. Look at that picture. Get your phones out. Look at that picture. Look at Terry and his niece by marriage, Danny. That darling little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl growing up in rural Iowa, ruralist Iowa, she has a favorite uncle, and it happens to be the guy who married her dad's little brother. Good luck, haters. That's all I've got to say. That's all I really wanted to say about this and that photo and Chick-fil-A. Good luck, haters. Trying to convince that little girl that her gay relatives, her gay uncle, is a threat to her family and not a part of her family. As she grows up, you are not going to be able to convince Danny Savage that her uncle Danny's husband Terry and Danny somehow are a threat to her or her family and not a part of her family. Anyway, so I'm in rural Iowa. The family's all here. And just because when you look up advice in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. And the only qualification you need to give advice is to be asked for your opinion. And opinions are like assholes and everyone has them. And my family has a lot of assholes with opinions. So we're going to bring in uh, my siblings, Billy, Eddie, and Laura, and they're going to give some advice with me today on the podcast uh, just for fun, just because we can. So your calls and my siblings after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. ExtremeRestraints.com is the ultimate fetish store and so much more. No matter how vanilla or how kinky you are, Extreme Restraints carries toys for you. They've got huge selections of premium vibrators, bondage gear, fucking machines, cock jewelry, and more at great prices. Save an extra 10% with the coupon code GGGAUGUST. Double that discount, 20% off if you use it by Sunday. I'm a reasonably attractive, I like to think, person. Um... And I have had a fair amount of experience uh, on both sides of the field, or both teams, I guess. Um, but the thing is, I am confirmed with an experience last night where I wasn't really fully into it at all. I seem to be, certainly am, uh, most attracted to, and it's kind of hard to actually say out loud, but non-humans, canines specifically. And that thing because uh, I have fun with humans most often, but I can't really fully enjoy myself or even hardly get off um, without kind of visual imaginative imagery. So what it is with me, I mean, I wasn't abused, didn't have any crazy experience or anything like that, but I am just absolutely and definitely more attracted to and uh, motivated towards enjoyment with dogs. 
and that actually has led me towards uh, certain life choices, like business and uh, my my profession, to be honest. So, Billy, um, I, I'm sure you can imagine, as I listened to this particular question, why I thought of you. <laughs> um, I think it might be the beard. Kind of zoophilic in some way, I suppose. Yeah, you're an animal. An animal. <laughs> I actually just wanted to acquaint you with what I go through on a day-to-day basis. I thought I had it bad with undergraduates. I, you know, I feel I don't want to mock this guy. This is a, a predicament that he's in. He's uh, attracted to animals. That is going to complicate attracted to dogs, in particular. That is going to complicate his life significantly, particularly in the last few years, as more states, following Washington State's lead, mm-hmm. have moved to uh, criminalize bestiality. Uh, it's not illegal in a lot of places, which sometimes surprises people to find out, but after a few high-profile cases, including the guy who got fucked to death by a horse in Washington State, there's been a move right. to criminalize it. Uh, whenever I write about or talk about bestiality, I get a lot of letters mm-hmm. uh, and angry phone calls from people who say that, you know, the standard argument against why you shouldn't fuck animals is um, about consent and animals can't consent and people with a gut full of chicken and beef and pork wearing leather will tell you that an animal can't consent to sexual activity, but somehow that an animal's consent is irrelevant when it comes to dinner activities or fashion activities. Well, we breed them for dinner and fashion, not for fucking. Um, and I guess the, the distinction I would make is between someone's internal sexual life and their social sexual life. Like, you can have anything you want going on in your head during sex, but if what's going on in your head during sex will send other people screaming from the room, including the person you might otherwise be having sex with, that's the real issue. And it's a problem, and it's going to be a problem for him, uh, particularly, you know, and I feel bad for you. I'd actually like to, to reference for you for your own mental health and also for others who are shitting their pants that we're not just screaming, ew, yuck, ew, yuck, ew, yuck at you, and actually expressing a little bit of sympathy uh, to a piece that Jesse Baring, who was a guest expert in Savage Love for a Week, has a new book out called Why is the Penis Shaped Like That? Uh, he blogs at Scientific American, and uh, he's a smart guy, and he wrote a, a, a research psychologist, and he wrote a, a piece called Animal Lovers, Zoophiles Make Scientists Rethink Human Sexuality, and I encourage you and other people who are shitting their pants at the moment to go read it. Well, that ties in with uh, the Sex at Dawn book, which shows that we, uh, or argues, I think rather per- persuasively, that we shouldn't project back into the past our current social sexual arrangements of monogamy and nuclear families and all that. Once upon a time, we were wandering bands of horny primates wandering around a, a research-rich environment, those researchers would have included animals that maybe they didn't consent or not consent. I mean, people do lots of things, and this is one of them that has a lot of social opprobrium attached. I will say, though, I think most states haven't made it illegal because most state legislatures are dominated by rural districts. Well, there's a lot of just, animal it fucking just makes sense, on. yeah, to me, that it would be okay. I mean, you look at the stats, and they're actually pretty high in rural areas. But the, the distinction that some people make is there are people who are using farm animals basically as... Uh, fleshlights right. with legs and faces, uh, something to masturbate into while you think about what you'd rather be fucking. But then there are zoophiles who are physically and romantically attracted to, in this caller's case, dogs. Yeah, and and, and that's a, that's a you know that's a horse of a different color, as they would say in the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and we feel nothing but sympathy for you. It's going to complicate your life. You say you've landed in a career that. Well, well, you also said that you've had experience on both teams, I believe would be the Seinfeldian way to say it. So you're obviously trying things out, and maybe you've successfully managed to sort of have the mental thing going on you need. Because, I mean, the, the the social side of sex, though, isn't just who I'm sleeping with. It's who I socialize with all the time, who I go out to dinner with, who I introduce to my family. And, you know, Rover might not make the cut for all of that. There's a lot of restaurants you can't bring a dog to. But 
oh you probably God. want to have a relationship with another human that maybe will require you to have this kind of double life, unfortunately. Yeah, and you wouldn't be the only poor sap out there leading that kind of double life. There are people who are attracted to centaurs, people are attracted to half-lizards, people are attracted to impossible things and impossible species, things that don't exist under the uh, under the sun, and they spend their whole life imagining their ideal partner while they fuck the make-do humanoid right. partner. <laughs> or actual human, not just humanoid. I do want to throw one thing out there, though. You said you, you got into a, a line of work that facilitates your attraction animals. I hope you're not raping other people's dogs. I hope you're not raping your own dog. I hope you're not raping any dogs. I hope you're not really having sex with any dogs. I really don't think you should. Uh, I, you know, I, you know, just had some bacon at breakfast. I hate to be a hypocrite. I don't think you should eat animals. I don't think consent. Maybe I'm just like, uh, defaulting to you, which is what Jesse Baring writes about in his blog post. I'd encourage you to go look up and read. Uh, but whatever field you're in, please don't fuck other people's dogs. Because when other people find out, they will not be nearly as understanding and kind as Dan and I. Billy has a soft spot in his heart for dog fuckers, is what he means to imply. For fuckers in general, the the dog thing is just tertiary. Growing up in our family, we, we've known a lot of fuckers. No dog fuckers that we know that of we specifically, know. but... Oh. That we know of. Think about this. What we're, well, I guess what I'm advising is have a very spacious closet that you can move into and lead a su- otherwise successful, non-ostracized uh, you know, life. But I'm with Dan. If you've got a dog walker job... Watch the first four letters of that verb. And don't <laughs> fuck other people's dogs because the problem is if you – you know, there are cases where dogs have been trained mm-hmm. to have sex with humans and then they will mount the unsuspecting human and not only out themselves as a dog that bucks human but out you potentially as the human right. that taught them how to fuck dogs. Don't do it. You're going to go to jail. Well, and then that's – yeah, you got to be very careful. Yeah, please <laughs> don't fuck dogs. Um, as a general rule here at Savage – Love cast. We have a general sort of blanket "don't fuck dogs" policy. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue. I'm not gonna argue with that for once. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 22 year old straight female, and I've never been in any sort of romantic relationship. I have never been on a date. I've never had a boyfriend. I've never nothing. Um, I grew up in a Jewish religious sort of atmosphere where just nobody really dated, that wasn't really a thing. It just seemed like, oh, once you got to college, you'd start dating, or people would start setting you up more than you finding your own guys. Um, I've had a lot of guy friends, but I don't really know how to talk to guys if I'm interested in learning more than a friend. I've been online with no real luck. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not really the kind of girl who goes to bars, and most of the things I like to do are kind of stereotypically feminine, like sewing and cooking and stuff, um, so I don't really know where to encounter guys, um, as most of the guys I tend to encounter those sorts of things are gay. Um, my friends say I'm pretty, I have a great personality, I'm fine, I'm outgoing, um, I am overweight, but I mean, I think I'd pull it off well, and I don't think that should be an impediment. Um, so please, I'm kind of at my wit's end, and I get really frustrated. Really, I just want someone to be in a relationship with and to have some sort of connection with. Where does she find a man? You're a man. Where are all the men? Um, at baseball games. Um, in all seriousness, though, uh, let me just say, you know, all sympathy. Coming out of a heavily religious background where you would be set up for marriage rather than being expected to date or meet guys in your own. But I think you identified, you know, one strategy in your own sort of description of yourself. You like stereotypically feminine things like sewing and cooking. Well, so guys love women who like stereotypical feminist or feminine female in the oppressed by men way. 
Um, but you're gonna, you're not gonna meet guys just doing that. So my advice is the classic, you know, non-credit adult ed course. Like go take a course on, you know, the the Bible as literature at your local community college or something like that. Or if you live in a big city and there's institutions like the Newbury Library in Chicago or the Graham School of at the University of Chicago where you can take non-credit courses, so there's no pressure about tests and grades. But you read books, talk, and meet people. Um, spend time in public places that are not bars. There's coffee shops. There's bookstores. Oh, there's bars. You know, there's, it, it kind of drives me crazy when I listen to people say, I'm, I'm not experiencing a lot of romantic success. And, and all my sympathy goes to you, caller. I'm not experiencing a lot of romantic success. Won't go to bars. Won't go online. Rules people rules out like most of the ways people meet. You will be surprised how many people there are in bars who are looking to meet somebody that they never have to go to a bar with again ever. And, and bars are full of people who hate bars. And online is full of people who feel a little bit like, eh, about online dating. But that's where people are now. And you've got to, you've got to condescend to go to those places. And again, not knowing what, what city you're in or what, kind, what the bar culture is like there, let me say as a very bar-positive person, um, a lot of people in bars aren't the stereotype of, you know, drunken idiot losers. You know, I've, I've met many a person that's sitting in a bar reading a book. Um, having one glass of wine, and having not one only drink, one type of bar in the world. Right. You know, you, it's a good thing to be a regular in a public place. It's a you, you never know who's going to walk in the door. You can sit and you can sew in, in a bar or a coffee shop. And I'm, this is advice that's exclusive to places that have banned smoking in bars. Uh, yeah, yes, of I course. would never sit all day in a bar where people get smoke. But you can become a regular. You get to know people. It increases your sort of friendship network, and that increases your exposure to other possible human beings on the planet who might be interested in you romantically. Because if somebody sees you and they're interested in you, they can check with the bartender. They can talk to the other regulars at the bar who might have gotten to know you about whether you're single, available, interesting, nice, whatever. And and it's also a very low-pressure environment in that you can leave any time. Oh, got to go to work early in the morning, or oh, my show is on, or I'm cat-sitting for my friend, or whatever. And you can get up and go. Unlike a formally arranged date online where now you're stuck with this person for four to five hours and if you leave, it's, it's the end of the freaking world. Is our perspective just skewed, though? We grew up in the north side of Chicago. There was a tavern in every corner. You still bartend uh, yeah. one night a week at yeah. a tavern on the corner. We have this attitude that bars are these kind of extensions of your living room where you might you know, see family, see friends, you might meet people. Oftentimes when I talk to people who grew up you know, in Houston or whatever, bars are – Shithole dives right, uh, right. that good people don't go to. Is our perspective skewed as Chicagoans? Well, no, our perspective isn't skewed because we acknowledge that there are bars we wouldn't go to. I mean, <laughs> there are shithole dives that I avoid at all costs. But again, not all bars are the same, just like not all 20-year-old hasn't dated anybody or 22-year-old haven't dated anybody. Women are the same. Um, some bars I would never go in. Some women I would never date. Uh, that doesn't mean that this woman couldn't find a, a decent saloon. And again... The internet will help you find that, right? Um, bars have websites now. Does the bar does a bar website talk about, you know, we had 14 fights last night and I had to ban two regulars. Well, then you know you don't want to go there. This week's installment of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by the American Tavern Association <laughs> and, and <laughs> all of our independent craft brewers across America. But you have to move on all fronts. It's basically our advice. Don't, don't rule out bars. We're bar fans. Uh, but we're, you know, old drunks. But don't rule out <laughs> bars. Don't rule out coffee shops. Education. Education. Put yourself out there online. Put yourself out there in the world. You know, you're not going to meet a guy sitting at home in your apartment, sewing, and being sad about how you're not meeting a guy. And and stop watching all romantic comedies immediately. And stop reading Cosmo. Because the romantic comedies will make it seem as though when you meet this one person, the you know the music cues and everybody knows it, even if there's a little impediment in the way, like they're engaged or married to somebody else, all will be overcome by true love. That's not true. Once you start dating, you will have a lot of one, two, three, four date relationships. You will have guys who are losers who you think aren't losers and you discover they are. You will have guys who look like losers at first who might turn out to be okay or even really good. But you can only find that out if you get out of the house and into the world. And don't make the girl mistake of uh, not being able to distinguish between 
the guy who's a loser uh, and is a loser, and the guy who you perceive as a loser at first and you realize is a really nice guy, don't get the like loser fixer upper because you can't fix up a guy. What you've got to do is be able to see past some people sometimes. You know, when I met Terry, uh, da, 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 can't do a podcast without mentioning Terry. I thought he was not the guy for me. I thought he was totally wrong for me. And he turned out to be the right guy for me. But I, was, I had ruled him out. So be, take a second look at guys you might rule out when you first meet them. And, and give guys the same chances you would want them to give you. Uh, you said you, you think you're a little overweight, but you carry it well. Well, if the guy you're looking at might, might be packing on a few pounds from playing video games, cut him some slack too. And keep in mind that people change. You can change. Um, but the, like, the structure is always there. Like Who you are, there's a, there's a skeleton. Everything else can be shifted around. And same thing with the guy who might look like a loser versus the guy who really is a loser. Find the tools to indulge your fantasies at ExtremeRestraints.com. Whether you want your wife to plow your ass with a three-inch wide strap-on dildo while your cock is locked in a steel chastity cage, or you want to spend an indulgent evening of self-pleasure with an eight-speed wand massager and an array of attachments, ExtremeRestraints.com has toys for you. Save an extra 10% on giant dildos, wand massagers, steel cock toys, fucking machines, and everything else. At ExtremeRestraints.com, when you use the coupon code GGGAUGUST, double that discount for 20% off if you use it by Sunday. Hey, Dan. Love you. Love your podcast. But in a strictly platonic way, of course. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and while overall I find your advice progressive, uplifting, and much needed, there's one sour note that you hit again and again, and I'm sure I'm not the only female listener who has noticed and cringed. Occasionally when the subject of vaginas comes up, at the end of the segment, you'll throw out a little, oh, and by the way, since I'm a gay man, I think vaginas are gross. And this just kills my heart a little bit more than it's already killed every day. Do you really think vaginas are gross, or do you just think that's a clever line of joking? If it's the former and the thought of vaginas truly gives you the heebie-jeebies, then maybe you need to call someone and ask for advice on how to get past that fifth grade cootie monster hang-up. If it's the latter, I really wish that you would take into account the context of the world in which you are broadcasting. In a world where sexism is still alive and well and women are told how we need to remove our hair down there, get it smelling like roses and bubblegum down there, get surgery to make sure everything is tucked and tight and porn star-esque down there, where a female legislator can get banned from speaking on the House floor for saying the word vagina instead of down there, I think that as a white male with such a vast media platform, you need to recognize your privilege and not help further the whole vagina's are disgusting. Ew, I can't believe I just said vagina. Get it away. Taboo. And while I'm on the topic, I could die happy death if you promise to stop saying twat. It's such an ugly word. Like the sound a car might make running over a squirrel. Twat. Ugh. Stop perpetuating the whole female self-loathing meme. You're keeping us down, Dan. I really think it's unfair for before before we bring in Billy. I think it's really unfair <laughs> that you would you would suggest that I'm keeping you down. That those Michigan state legislators who got banned for saying the word vagina, I blogged about them right away, really before anyone else did. Right after Rachel Maddow did actually, uh, linked to it, said that they were my heroes, loved them, helped to promote, and tweeted about uh, the vagina monologues protest at the Michigan state capitol. I am on your side, me and my white skin and my dick and my privilege, which is a word. If you, I will never say twat again. If you never say privilege again, if you find some other <laughs> buzzy bullshit term to lean on, I will let go of privilege. You have to let go of your privilege privilege, and I will let go of twat. Your privilege to throw the word privilege around, which itself is a kind of a privilege. Now, caller, you suggested that if, you know, vaginas really gave me the heebie-jeebies, I need to call someone who could help me process these feelings, someone who didn't feel this way. Hence, here is my older brother, Billy, who is a fan. Yes. Well, 
I don't know that Dan can get over his heebie-jeebies any more than I, as a straight man, can get over the heebie-jeebies about some things that my brother does for fun and to express deep, profound emotions. Um, there are things that make me uncomfortable that my brother actually enjoys talking about in front of me to, on purpose. Um, <laughs> or you, when we were young, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I had yeah, first yeah, yeah, come yeah. out, you would come down when I was eating cornflakes at the table and, <laughs> and rub your beard over the bowl and tell me that little bits of pussy juice were flaking out of your beard and landing in my food. I don't think I went quite that far, but close. Yes, <laughs> I was scarred by it, hence my... Uh, so maybe just instead of expecting Dan to get over it, blame me. Yeah, it's Billy's fault. And Billy's a fan. You like vagina. And I have a lot of privilege. I have straight white male privilege, not just white male privilege. the original privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. I have new Um, Coke privilege. You have original formula. (laughs) And that and two two and a quarter will get me on the red line. Um, (laughs) But in all seriousness, I mean, we we have our sexual orientations, and they profoundly shape how we perceive bodies. And gay men are going to be less than enthusiastic about women's bodies, but not in the same way that – uh, misogynistic straight men are the the legislatures. Legis- oh, and, and I'm always yelling at straight guys who won't eat pussy. I just wrote a yeah. letter of the day about it. Just the other day, this guy wants his girlfriend to go down on him. He won't go down on her. He won't finger her because he doesn't want that on his fingers. Like, and I beat the shit out of him. And you know, I think women across America appreciate that and ought to. But in, but again, I keep trying to be serious, which is obviously a mistake. <laughs> the uh, seriously, the legis- the misogynistic legislators who are putting their laws up in your vagina are way more important than whether or not Dan calls it a twat. Because, frankly, the people listening to this podcast are probably already on your side. And all over the map. You know, every time, you know, some women are comfortable with twat, some women aren't comfortable with twat. Some women use Kant. Inga Musio wrote that terrific book, Kant, that a lot of feminists really love. And some women don't use Kant. And whatever. I'm sorry I'm hurting. I'm sorry I'm killing you. And and I get it. I often, you know, when I I talk about how vagina squicks me out, I will say that, you know, I'm squicked out by my squickiness in part because I'm squicking it out there in a context where women are made to feel shamed about their bodies and told that their bodies are dirty and awful and evil. But I really have a hard time kind of... Uh, lying, I don't think I should have to lie. All boys are squicked out by women's bodies until puberty comes along mm-hmm. and it cures the straight boys. Or it cures most of them. And the gay boys don't have that same curative effect. We don't have that right. same palliative effect of puberty right, when it right. comes to being afraid of the body of the other. So we're always a little bit like, ah. And I don't think we should have to pretend that we're not a little bit like, yeah. ah. Yeah, and, and pretending to be something you're not, even though we just advised senior doggy Dog to do yeah. it. Um, is, is problematic because then the world turns into a giant kumbaya circle where everyone is lying to each other. And, you know, I am not particularly entranced by, like, for instance, Danny was opening his computer before we did this event, <laughs> and he said, look at the kind of pictures my, my reader sent me. And it was a gentleman with a, like, two-liter Coke bottle inserted rectally. And I had to, like, go Google redheaded barista Starbucks just to clear my, my vision and my you, mind of this. You reacted in a really sex-negative two-liter bottle-shaming way that made me feel judged and made me feel a little – because for all you know, I'm a two-liter bottle-a-file. And, and my straight white male privilege was trumping your gay white male privilege. And what, what kind of twat would do that to his brother? <laughs> oh, and you like twat. <laughs> Love it. Well, and but you just used the twat, knowing it would hurt this girl. Apologize to her. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, and people wonder where I get my insincere apologies. Obviously, it's genetic. Uh, the whole family suffers yeah, from the insincere apology. Gene. Gene. So I spoke with Billy uh, about this vagina question because he's a fan of vaginas. But I thought I'd bring uh, you in, Laura, my only sister, my younger sister, because you 
I, I, I assume, have a vagina. I've never seen your vagina, and Thank it's going to stay that way. <laughs> Thank God. But as a vagina haver, mm-hmm. how do you feel about me kind of being maybe honest or too honest or too open about being squicked out by vaginas? Do you feel oppressed? Nope. And there's no... <laughs> I mean, vagina is a word. It's what it is. Like a penis is a penis. A vagina is a vagina. And she doesn't object to my use of the word vagina. She objects that when vaginas come up as a topic, I usually at the end go, <laughs> I have a little shudder. But you're a guy. Some guys shudder that way. Why not? And some gay guys shudder some that gay, way. Some gay guys shudder that way. And some You've never been with a straight guy who shuddered at the thought of vagina, have you? No. Never. But And you wouldn't waste 10 seconds on a straight guy who wasn't into correct. vagina. Correct. Do I have to keep calling it vagina or can I call it twat? I like her twat sounds like a car running over, over a squirrel thing. That's pretty funny. So that is pretty funny. But get used to the word vagina. How like you took hey faggot out there to take the taboo off well, of it, the there's stigma. No, there's no taboo attached to or vagina. Not the taboo, stigma. It's take just got stigma. too many syllables. You don't call it a penis because it's got two syllables. People like one syllable word, tits. Gina. Not mammary glands. There you go, gina. That's two, two syllables. syllables. Gina. You want one. You penis want... is two syllables. I know, penis is two syllables. Why nobody uses it? People say dick, they say cock, they don't say penis. I say penis. I taught my 10-year-old son how to say well, penis. Of course, when we're speaking which freaks his dad out. to our children, we use proper words. But when you're talking to friends, what do you call it? You're sitting penis. around... I use the proper terms. I don't make... Unless I'm like going to call somebody a name, then I will use the dick or, you know... I don't know. I just I call it a vagina. I don't call it anything else. Really? Yeah. Because so, that's is what it is. Okay. So what should other people call it? What am I allowed to call it? Whatever makes you comfortable is Nothing what you can call it. Makes me comfortable. Then say I'm uncomfortable with that female part, so I'm not going to call it anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to call it Al. There you go. Call it. Well, no, because it's a female part. Mm-hmm. Alina. So do you feel oppressed by all this cultural shit out there? You're paying attention, obviously. Yes. You watch the news. The, the, the female legislators in Michigan who were reprimanded for using the word vagina during a debate about the government crawling up everyone's vaginas in Michigan. Uh, you know, the, the shaming that goes on, the teaching women that their, their vaginas are dirty and need to be power washed once a day. That's do you why feel I think oppressed you just, by that? No, I think that's why I just call it what it is. No. And if people are going to... Be, I think the people who are afraid of it are the ones who are. It's the fear, fear of that unknown, that ignorance. So See, I think with these straight male Republican legislators, yeah. it's fear that they're not in charge of it anymore. Correct. So they're trying to reassert their control over every vagina in the country Correct. with transvaginal ultrasounds and anti-abortion bills mm-hmm. and anti-birth control activism and legislation and trying to make birth control harder to come by or come in. Yes. And it's just about it's the, fear. all these legislators wanted to say your vagina ain't yours; it's ours. Nope, it's, it's mine. Public property. It's mine. And who gives you the right to tell me what to do with it? Don't look at me. I'm not telling you. Not to do you, with but them. Sorry, not him, because that would freak <laughs> him out. <laughs> yeah, that, but, I am currently freaked out. Not but, squicked out, caller. I'm not grossed out. I'm not going to say anything terrible. It's his sister, and he doesn't want to talk about sex. That's why I have this other brother that I could go to, or male friends that I go to, not my brother. People would be. You're outing me. I'm outing you again. What a lot of people don't realize is I'm uncomfortable talking about sex yes. with certain types of people Correct. that I might be related to. Like you should be, because it's, you know, I mean, just because you're a sex advice column doesn't mean I come to you for that advice. No, That's you don't. Not, you're not allowed to. I'm not allowed to. And I wouldn't want to, because that would, like, make me feel weird, because I don't, you know. I've had drunk, Sex and my brothers. No, that's a little too incestuous. I've had no. drunk aunts corner me at weddings and funerals to ask me for sex advice, and that makes me want to die. Well, that's drunk aunts. They're weird. Uh-oh. You don't want to go there with them. God bless drunk aunts. Yeah. Sometimes you're a drunk Relatives. aunt. You're an aunt. But Sometimes I would never drunk. bring that up with my nephews or nieces unless <laughs> they wanted me to. You know, I mean, and I'm, they don't. Yes. I mean, 
I, I think I'm more open with my son than his father is because he gets freaked out. But I'm the one that will use the words and his dad will freak out and be like, don't teach him that. That's what it is. I do the same for DJ. I'm the yeah. sex ed parent. Yep. We're both the sex, sex ed, ed parents. parents. Yes, because the other ones freak out. But then you teach him where to say it, not to say it. See, Billy was afraid he was going to run around in public going, penis, penis, vagina, vagina. And he doesn't do that. Because I, I teach him that. the place. Yeah. His <laughs> uncle that does that. Because yes. <laughs> he, he knows the proper when and when not to. But for vagina, people just need to get over the, the fear of the word. It is what it is. And at some point, maybe well, you'll get over the fear of the uh, word. It's not the word that I'm afraid of. Then what are you afraid of? What it makes you think of when you say no, vagina? I, I'm not. A, the caller isn't mad at me for using the word vagina. The caller's mad at me for using twat instead of vagina, which I do sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and that, you know, makes me a little crazy because some people hate vagina, some people like twat, mm-hmm. some people like cunt. And some people you're like, not going to please everybody. You're not going to so please everybody. Just, I guess it's just, I think it depends on the context. I would never use cunt because that's very demeaning. Like, you know. I call grandma a cunt in my book. The kid. Yeah, but she is. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? Yeah, I get a pass on that yes. one. <laughs> you get a pass on that one. Because when it applies, you know, you don't let it fly. I got a lot of grief from the family for calling Grandma Savage a cunt and the kid. I was quoting Mom. That was yeah. that was in quotation well, when, marks. When Grandma died, I called Mom and said, ding dong, the witch is dead. Now, was that? <laughs> yeah. Our grandmother Good. was not a nice person. No. She would have been thrown in jail for the things she did that people get thrown in jail for today. That's right. So, but... And just to contextualize that cunt, right. I, uh, Terry and I, after DJ was born, sent Grandma a birth announcement, yes, but then she mailed back. back. Yeah. I called my mother and said, you're not going to guess what Grandma did. And my mother went, oh my God, that woman is such a cunt. Yes. And I quoted Mom in the book. And, and I think a lot of her children... broke loose. <laughs> and I think a lot of her children would agree with that. They just didn't want it in a book. Yes. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is I Hate Everyone, Starting With Me, by Joan Rivers, narrated by Joan Rivers. I love Joan Rivers. Perfect Beach Listening. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. Uh, 22-year-old recent college grad Colin from Florida. And like many college grads, have had a lot of trouble finding work. A friend of mine suggested, hey, you know, I'm making a lot of money stripping on cam on a website. So I decided, you know what, I'm broke as shit. I might as well just go for it. Um, So I did, and I fucking love it. I make so much money, and the guys love me, and I just feel so good about myself, you know, as a woman. You know, we all have body image issues. I feel so great, and I'm just wondering. um, I also recently got out of a relationship, and it was really amicable. Everything's great, but I'm ready to start dating again. And so I was wondering, at what point do you disclose that information when you're starting a new relationship, because I know that, you know, not everyone is going to want to date somebody who takes their clothes off for a living. So I have two older brothers and here's the thing about, you know, growing up in a, a family with many siblings and that's relative because, you know, there were four kids in my family and my parents' families were six and eight or nine. I don't remember kids. Uh, 
But the, the thing about if you don't know, if you're one of those only children out there, you, what you don't realize is, you know, growing up with many siblings, you kind of grow up knowing absolutely everything there is to know about your siblings up to a certain point. Somewhere around high school, you all begin to become mysteries to each other as you begin to have private lives and you begin to edit and you move out of the house and then your siblings become strangers unto you. So I'm sitting here with my brother, Eddie, who is a, a heterosexual with a long and varied dating history. Uh, and we're going to bring him in because I'm curious. I've always wanted to ask him uh, if he's ever dated a stripper. I've never dated a stripper, but uh, being a man with two hands, I enjoy porn quite a bit. Um, <laughs> One day your children will listen to this and they will discover that you enjoy porn. And I uh, I actually dated a girl who had a bad of a uh, – not a bad, but a history of uh, – it was actually heroin, but she was actually very sexual. So – you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you compare or equate heroin addiction with stripping, I'm going to get it in the teeth from the sex-positive stripper community. Meaning her history. She brought it up early in the relationship, and uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a bad thing to deal with. She just wanted to let me know because she asked about should she tell right away. But Okay, so you dated a girl who prior to meeting you had a heroin addiction that she overcame. And when you dated her, you guys had a moment where she felt she needed – to disclose this to you. This was something that you had a right to know so you could make an informed choice about whether you wanted to be with her or not. Yes, she disclosed it right away, which is kind of what she was saying about disclosing the whole stripper thing. So, so, but, but you've never dated a stripper. No, I never dated a stripper. Ex-heroin addict, yes, stripper, no. Yeah, but it, it, that'd be a dream. That'd be on the bucket list. So but. was it Mickey, your current wife, who was the heroin addict? <laughs> no, it was a, a girl way before Mickey. Yeah, you want to throw that out there in case your wife listens to this because if you leave it ambiguous that you are now married and once upon a time you dated a heroin addict and you don't expressly say, that heroin addict was not Mickey, people will wonder. Would you date a stripper? Yes, I would. Because, I mean, she's she's doing something that I enjoy, watching naked women. So what kind of hypocrite would I be say, don't do that, but you're dating me, you can't do that anymore? So I'm going to beat off to that thing that you oh, shouldn't heck yeah. do. Yeah. Since you, you don't want to create any disincentives around women taking their clothes off. No, I think it's a beautiful <laughs> thing, but... In the right context. So, so at what point would you want that disclosed? At the start, first date, third date, fourth date? I think the first date. Like the lady that was involved with me told me about it right away. And it just opens it up and, it, you know, I can make that decision right away if I want to do that or not. But. See, I usually recommend holding off just a little bit. When it comes to something that's stigmatized like stripping or whatever, that you just give them a date or two to get to know you so that then they can weigh the person that they know you to be and have gotten to know against whatever sort of lingering sex phobic biases they may have against your kink or your sexual history or the, you know, the way you pay the bills. Cause there is, you know, people make really unfair judgments. And I think that people who strip need to take that into consideration when they come out. I think, I think they should come out to them. They do have, they do, they are obligated to disclose and disclose early. So the person they're dating can make an informed choice. But I don't think that's a first date convo, unless you met at work. It, 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 I mean, it makes good sense because you don't want to make that right away because what if there's no attraction and then you're letting that out into the open? And obviously you have to have some type of connection to, to date. So it could be something that happens later. I just – this girl brought it out and kind of blew my mind. So I'm not saying she should be – she's doing anything she should be ashamed of. I'm just encouraging people to think strategically. And she, you may be judged unfairly, which I think gives you the right to withhold momentarily. Not forever and ever and ever. But, you know, it's also a superpower. You can say, I strip! And then anybody who runs screaming is no one that you have to waste your time on. Or the boy that's with her would say, I've already seen you. So then it's an open <laughs> conversation. Yeah, you could date through work. 
But she's doing most of her stripping online. And the guys love her, she says. And you love ladies who take their clothes off. The best part, she said, though, makes her feel good. As long as it makes you feel good and you're making money and you're not hurting yourself, that's wonderful. But don't do the dumb stripper thing uh, of believing that you will always make this kind of money. Uh, You know, you can strip now. You're hot. You're in college. You can't strip when you're 50. No, I see a lot of strippers in the work I do and it's... It's an ugly thing when they're older. Gravity comes for you. <laughs> so you want to have a backup plan. You want to have something to fall back on that isn't your ass. Use that money to get a degree and own a business and run the world. Hi, Dan. Um, I'm a 19-year-old straight white girl. I would never openly say this to a guy who's interested in or a guy who's interested in me. Um, and I guess it's never been a problem so far. But I really can only picture myself dating a white guy. I don't know why this is, but I'm assuming it's something I was conditioned to by social media or society or something like that. But I also grew up um, in the South um, at an all-white private high school. So those were really the only guys I had any contact with until I moved to New York City for college. Um, Things are very different in New York, obviously. Um, So that's new for me. But unlike a person's sexual orientation, I don't know that a person is born with a sexual or romantic preference regarding race. Um, My friends, most of whom are gay, give me a lot of crap about closing myself off to guys who aren't white. I feel like I'm into what I'm into, and I respect their preferences, so why can't they respect mine? I feel attacked by them, and it really makes me uncomfortable. My question for you is, should I feel bad about this as a preference um and is it something i should try to change i would have to say no you like no you like what you like you shouldn't change your preferences because other people's are other people are pressuring you um i don't think there's anything wrong with liking one particular person over another i mean yeah having a type having a preference is totally fine correct the only thing i would say though is um you know she said i respect their preferences why can't they respect mine and my only comeback to her would be are they yours? Are these preferences truly your preferences? You know, she says, maybe this is how I was uh, socialized to only be into or attracted to one type of person. She's 19 years old. That might And change. a lot of people right after high school, you know, have swallowed the whole A&F thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly, you know, you grew up in the South. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. I think, uh, not so uh, deeply coded messages in the South about race still. Uh, and in the North and everywhere, you know, race is an issue uh, for a lot of people. And, and sometimes people don't realize that they have the capacity to be attracted to more types, more different types of people, people from different races, backgrounds, economic classes, whatever, than they realized or assumed because they thought they wanted what everybody wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and they believed that was right and, you know, all of their sort of sexual energy and uh, desire was f- channeled for them. By the culture. So I'm not saying that if you, you know, look in your heart, you're going to want to jump on black dick. All I'm saying is look in your heart, think about it, be open to meeting new and different types of people, and see what rises out of you. Because what you call her right now, ID, as your preferences may not actually be your... Lifelong preferences. Not even your lifelong. May not actually be yours. Yes. They can be the ones that were pounded into you by... Your family, by uh, the community where you grew up in, by your friends, by the culture, by television, by film. Your environment. Your environment said, 
This is you this know, is what's desirable, and yes. this is what's expected of you. And this and is what's acceptable, and this is the only thing you can like. And I mean, I grew up in a community, you know, in a diverse community, and was never really attracted to anybody but white guys. But at the age of thirty, I dated someone who was from, you know, who's Muslim, you know, Pakistan and Arabian, and didn't think, oh, I wouldn't be attracted to somebody like that, and I was. And you were with him for a long time. Two years, and, you know. You know, and I I grew up in the same white ethnic uh, neighborhood that you did, although it was increasingly diverse diverse when we were, uh, by the time we got to high high school, school. it got super diverse. Or middle school and high school. And, you know, there was a long time, when I was 19, when I was 17, I thought I could only ever be attracted to white guys, and Terry famously is the whitest of white guys. But I dated Mexican guys. And and Billy's very white, and he's from Texas, you know? (laughs) I dated all sorts of types of guys that at 19 or 16, I wouldn't have expected that I would be attracted to. And I am actually attracted to Asian guys and uh, Mm -hmm. Latin guys and all sorts of different types of guys. And you might be, too. So I'm not... You're only 19. Give it a chance. Your preferences might change as your world experiences change. As you get out of your environment and travel and do different things, you might one day be, hey, I'm attracted to this person. And Which is different. not to guilt you about no. your preferences and desires as they exist now. Right your now. friends should be encouraging you to be open-minded, not shaming you Correct. for having the desires you have now. Correct. Because it could change, just like you change. You know, you're not the same person you are when you were little. You're 19. It could all change as you change. And it might never change. You might just have this preference to liking white guys and there's nothing wrong with that and then one day you're gonna meet a hot african-american guy a hot mexican-american guy a hot mexican-mexican guy you're gonna meet a hot thai guy and suddenly your your, world may open up your world may open up or it might not all we're saying is keep an open mind and don't let anybody else shame you or try to change your opinion yeah, just be who you are think about what you're bitching about your friends doing they're being judgmental and they're shaming you yeah. Uh, and they're being closed-minded. Correct. Your retort, your, your, the, the right response from you is to be non-judgmental and open-minded, to accept their POV, and to examine yep. your desires and the cultural forces that may have shaped them so that as you move through life, particularly in a place like New York fucking city, okay. where you're going to meet hot people of every race, every religion, Diversity. every background, every sexual orientation, that you are open to possibility, which doesn't mean you have to fuck anybody and everybody yeah. that your friends think you have to fuck. Correct. Just be open. That's the key. Stay open-minded. Hi, Dan. I'm a 20-year-old straight male from Florida, and I have a bisexual girlfriend. We met in college, and we each went home for the summer with the understanding that we were together. We had a couple of fights that were bound to happen with the long-distance relationship that we weren't used to or ready for. During these fights, we each took up with an ex. Her hookup just happened to be with a girl. However, her argument is that my cheating was worse than hers because I hooked up with the opposite sex. I think it was an equal violation of trust. So my question is, who's right in this situation, if anyone, and how do we talk it out with a mutual understanding in the end? I think cheating is cheating. Male, female, doesn't matter. You both hooked up with an ex. Um, Gender doesn't count. I, I know why the girlfriend feels threatened, though, about him hooking up with a girl while she hooked up with a girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, what she's saying, really, is that uh, it's more threatening for him to hook up with someone that he could potentially fall in love with. The emotional connection versus... Right. Okay. Whereas she may be one of those bisexual-identified people who can be intimate with someone of the same sex but could never really see themselves falling in love with someone of the, the same sex. The emotional connection is not there. Right. So she can, you know, enjoy sex with women, wants to fuck women every once in a while, you know, has uh, awesome time when she's with a woman, maybe would date a woman, but she knows that she could never fall in love with, with a woman. But she 
is aware that you can fall in love with a woman. So you part you bo- you know, you the boyfriend sleeping with another girl is much more threatening and destabilizing potentially to the relationship in her mind. True. But but, but cheating's cheating. As, I agree with yes, you, Laura. But as a bisexual, if you're attracted to both, why can't you have that emotional connection? I'm going to play devil's advocate. <sighs> emotional connection on both ends. Well, no, no, why many, isn't he threatened? But and and I get where you're coming from. No, it's not where I'm coming from. It's where bisexuals sexual, come yeah. from. And, 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 not and, all, and not all bisexuals. Many bisexuals are capable of falling in love with either gender. But correct. you hear from and I've had bisexual mm-hmm. activists on the show to talk about it. Yeah. That many bisexuals are capable of being intimate, sexually attracted to it's members of their the own sex. sex. It's not just the sex. They can be intimate. They can have fun, have a good connection, enjoy, have a friendship, have a friendship that's enhanced by sex. But okay. they can't, they don't see themselves in a long-term partnership, a romantic partnership. They don't fall in intimate romantic love with members of their own sex. I'm not saying that that's all bisexuals. That Those are some, though, like, a significant number. And I think your girlfriend just outed herself as that kind of bisexual, bisexual. because she's projecting her anxiety onto you. Yes. She looks at what you did and goes, that's a bigger threat to the relationship than what I did because I couldn't fall in love with someone who's a woman. But how come? Why can't a guy just have sex without the emotional connection either? Because yeah, aren't, aren't there fuck buddies? What is I it mean, about guys? People... Guys always get so attached. Why can't they be Not more like always. women? Women always get attached. But, <laughs> but can't there be – I mean there are people who have – what they like to call? Can I use a swear word? Oh yeah, fuck. They, yeah, fuck buddies. Who they have like fuck buddies where all they do is have. This is a podcast. Sex. You can say whatever the fuck awesome. you want. Awesome. Shit, cool. piss, cocksucker, so, motherfucker, tits. But there, but there are people who have what they call fuck buddies where all the relationship is about sex. They might be married. I was listening to this on the radio the other day. They may have these long term relationships and they're married twenty, thirty years, but on the side they have a fuck buddy. You know, and all they do there's no emotional connection. It's just about the sex. So why can't? But I hear you, the emotional connection or her fear of you're going to be connected to this person. I don't get it, but I yeah, can see it. I, I, you both have a point, caller. Yes. You're right in that sex is sex. You cheated, she cheated. She, she uh, isn't being, I think, very articulate in expressing why she feels more threatened by you having sex with a woman than she feels you have a right to feel about her having sex with a woman okay. because you could fall in love and it could destroy – end your relationship and it, she perceives it to be more threatening. Correct. She's jealous. <laughs> She's insecure. Yes. She's worried. Which is where jealousy comes from. Because of Insecurity. what it represents. And yeah. uh, But you're right. I, I, yeah. I think the cheating's cheating card trumps mm-hmm. – the anxiety. Who they actually have the sex with. Right. I think that trumps the ang- yes. her like particular anxiety about what it means for you to Correct. sleep with a woman versus what it means for right. her to sleep with a woman. But you should be a little compa- a little understanding and a little indulgent of her insecurities if you want this relationship to I agree. survive and thrive. I agree. Makes sense. And we're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you'd like to record a question or call for a future show, give us a buzz. I'd like to thank my siblings, Billy, the oldest, Eddie, the second oldest, and Laura, the youngest, uh, for agreeing to come on the podcast today and uh, give some advice with me at our little family reunion here in ruralist Iowa. Follow me on Twitter, at FakeDanSavage. Follow me on Instagram. I'm Dan Savage on Instagram. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. Nancy Hartunian produces the podcast and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth will be back at you next week. Another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading. 